Last week, we heard about a rich young ruler. He wanted affirmation, but went away downhearted because he realized that his priorities were backwards. Jesus used this as an introduction to his teaching, segueing into the spiritual order. God's spiritual order is not man's order where we place money. We have a hierarchy of that. This prompted Peter to point out that he and the other disciples, well, they had left a lot of financial, their financial situation and followed Jesus. How are they following this principle by leaving their lives to follow Jesus? They, he was looking for, yeah, you're doing the right thing. Jesus responded by explaining the rewards of life following God, but with a warning wrapped up in his teaching. Many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Our scripture today is found on page 846 of your pew Bible, if you want to follow along. It's in Mark chapter 10. We're going to be starting in verse 32, and we'll be going all the way to verse 45. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. Taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one on your right hand and one on your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, 
and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This morning, we see a very similar theme to what we saw previously. A few weeks ago, Elliot was speaking on a passage very similar to this, and even last week, Paul was speaking about our relationship, what things we put in priority. Jesus here today, we read, he's preparing his followers for his death and emphasizes the heavenly priority system of service to one another. If we pull out our bulletins, at the top it talks about South Sovereign Grace Bible Church when we were founded, and it has five distinctives. If you look on there, love for the local church, practicing the one another's. That is something that we hold to be important for us as a body. And we will see Jesus speaking to this today. So we want to be aligned with him in that way. Let me start with chapter 32, or verse 32 in chapter 10. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. So we see that Jesus and others are in this travel caravan. Jesus is in the front with the twelve. There are many followers. Now, the Bible is not clear exactly who these twelve followers are. It could be the crowds that have been following him or other disciples. I was looking in Luke 10, and I see in verse 1, Jesus commissions other disciples more than just the 12. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So we see it was not just 12. There was a group of disciples. And that's kind of how Jesus operated. He had the crowds, and then within that, there were other disciples. I think there was more than 72, but these were 72 that he commissioned, similar to what he did to the 12 when he sent them out. He gave them some power and some authority. Then he spent most of his time pouring his life and his teaching into the 12. Within that 12, there were three, Peter, James, and John, that he work with most closely, and as we, we know, Peter he spent even more time with because he had a special job for him later and he needed extra preparation. So as I'm considering who these were, 
I'm leaning towards it was disciples, this broader band of disciples, because they were afraid and amazed. If it's just the crowds, I'm here to see things happen, start getting afraid, I'm backing off. So, again, the scripture is not clear, but I'm thinking it's these disciples. But why are they afraid? Well, Jesus is going toward Jerusalem. He spent a lot of time in Galilee recently. We know that in Jerusalem, there's the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, and priests, all people who have had it out for him for quite a while. I look in John 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea, which is where Jerusalem is, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. It was well known that he was a marked man. But Jesus is headed for Jerusalem. We, 2,000 years later, know why that is. But his disciples didn't. The crowds following him, the other disciples, didn't know. A little nervous. I think I would be too. Jesus is walking toward his triumphal entry, his Passion Week, and the cross. His time to teach these disciples is drawing very short. He has perhaps two weeks at the most. So he gathers the twelve, and he's very plain with them. Yes, I am going towards Jerusalem. And he refers to himself as the Son of Man. Now, last time I spoke, we talked about the Son of Man a little bit, but not all of you were here at that time, so I'm just going to do a little review. We looked at Daniel chapter 7. I'm going to read in 13 and 14. Daniel is speaking here. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. The Son of Man talks about Jesus' Messiahship, his Christship. And Jesus is now in the process of filling that prophecy from Daniel. It's fitting. It's going to lead to his death and resurrection. And he prophesies. In Luke 22, 23 through 24, No, let me try that again. It's Luke 22, 63 through Luke 23, 24, a rather long passage. We see this prophecy that Jesus gives of himself. 
and I'm going to get there in a second. I want to just review what we saw in today's reading. The Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him, spit on him, and flog him, and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. He's prophesying to the disciples what will happen. Now, it's easy for most of us just to kind of go, yeah, 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 I, I know that. I've, I've been a Christian for a while. Yeah, he's going to be handed over, spat on, he's going to be beaten. Da, 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 da. Let's see if what Jesus said actually happens. So I'm looking in 2263. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him. Prophecy fulfilled. And they beat him. That's not quite the same as flogging. And they blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. Then they came to the assembly of the elders gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, prophecy fulfilled. And they led him away to their council, and they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from our own lips. By the context, they're thinking he's saying he's God, which he is, and they are ready to kill him because of that. We will see more of that confirmed as we go on, but I call that prophecy fulfilled. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And, he began to, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. Then they bring him over to Herod. We're going to skip down a little bit. Not that that's not important, but it just repeats some of the things that we've already learned. And I'm skipping to 13. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. The word punish is a translation that doesn't give the full meaning. What that means is to flog and scourge him. And what that means is you take off the clothes off his back, you take a leather-plated whip with barbs, bits of bone, and other sharp objects, and you beat him with it until his flesh on his back is flayed open. Prophecy fulfilled. Continuing in 18. But they all cried out together, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas. 
a man who has been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate advised them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. We said before that they wanted to condemn him to death. Crucify him means condemn him to death. That's clear. A third time he said to them, why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish him and release him. Again, that punishing, that word is that, fl that flogging where his flesh gets laid open. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. Matthew 27, 30 talks about, and they spat on him and took a reed and struck him on the head. That's the next to the last prophecy that he speaks about here. Finally, I turn to Matthew 28, 1 through 9. This is the good news part. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Sunday's the first day, Saturday, Friday, three days. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Final prophecy fulfilled. After three days he will rise. He wanted to prepare them to make clear not only the bad news, which we often kind of skip over. I felt we needed to spend some time on that today. But also the good news. The good news, he is alive. Do you think the 12 finally understood? I'm wondering. How about you? Expecting anxiety, maybe mixed with joyful expectancy? That's what I expect them from them. Let's see what we get. Verse 35 in our, in our series, in our scripture. And James and John, the sons of thunder. No, that's not what it says. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, 
came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? As if he didn't know. And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one on your right and one on your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink, and the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. So we have James and John who are introduced here. I mistakenly included Sons of Thunder because that is what they are called. When Jesus first met them and brought them in to be a disciple, he, he nicknamed them. I'm looking at Mark 3.17, actually 16 through 17. He, Jesus, appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. Well, what does that mean, sons of thunder? We don't know, but we can get an idea. On this same trip, the trip from Galilee up to Jerusalem, for Passover, where he's going to be crucified. We look in Luke 9, and I'm going to read from 51 through 56. And when the days drew near for him, meaning Jesus, to be taken up, he set his, set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him, who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Wow. Seems a little vindictive, right? We've got these people, they're rejecting you. You've given us power. Let us smite them. That's not the kind of guy Jesus was. That's not the kind of God we have. There's justice, but that's unnecessary. James and John needed a little change in heart. Well, if I read in Acts 12, 1 through 2, I can find the following. And at that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. James, this firebrand, was the first uh, apostolic martyr. Now, we know Stephen was the first church martyr, but John, uh, James was the first apostle who was martyred. 
by the sword. John was transformed. He died of an old age, exiled on the island of Patmos, where he wrote some scripture. And that's very good, but he had quite the persecution in his life before he got there. In fact, through secular sources, he suffered through the persecution of Domitian in 81 AD. He was one of the people who were boiled alive in oil, yet somehow he survived. How does one do that? And after that, he was exiled to Potmos. There was other things that he endured, but that kind of stands out. Wow. Let's see how he turned out near the end. We had our scripture reading earlier today from 3 John 3 through 4 is our introductory scripture for a call to worship. For I rejoice greatly, John speaking here, for I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. He's writing this to his spiritual children, and you see the heart of a father. What do I want? I want for you to be close to our God. That's quite a change from, let me call down hail and brimstone and fire from heaven to smite these Samaritans because they rejected you. What is the change in this man? I submit it was a relationship with the living God, Jesus Christ. So, imagine James and John walking along with the disciples Jesus stops to tell them about that he's going to go to Jerusalem and he is going to be delivered up, he's going to be persecuted, he's going to be scourged, he's going to be put to death, he's going to be raised. They hear, Son of Man, Christ, Messiah, conquer. He dies, but is raised. They got that part. Hey, raised. And they say, Oh, you're going to your glory. We had better get our spots. Oh boy, here is our chance. Let's position ourselves. Maybe 2,000 years later, we sit here and we go, gee, that's not the attitude Jesus wants. But that's what these two firebrands were thinking. What are Jesus' possible responses? He could rebuke them. You guys still don't get it. Silence. He could have just ignored them and moved on to something else. Frustration, sadness. We have two weeks left. I've been pouring my teaching, my life, my example into you. I just talked with you, as Elliot preached two weeks ago, about this same thing. I, I don't know. That's not how he responds. He responds with gentle teaching. He says, you don't understand. Are you able to drink the cup, to go through the baptism with which I am? Well, that kind of brings us to 
what does he mean by cup and baptism? Well, at that time, to drink someone's cup was mean to share someone's faith. In this case, it was going to be pretty clearly suffering and persecution. And as we saw, James was martyred and John was exiled after being boiled in oil. In some ways, they did share that cup. Similarly, baptism means to be immersed, everything taken over. So Jesus was saying that your entire life is going to be composed of what is going to be going on, this persecution, but also this, this godly mission, if you will, this godly charter for you to lead people to me, to lead people to the saving knowledge, to the reconciliation with God. That is going to be what your life is about. Now, it's not exactly the same because when Jesus was crucified, he took on God's wrath, the wrath of the Almighty God of the entire universe. He took that on for us. James and John, their life followed, but they didn't actually bear that wrath. But they were, as the other disciples were, persecuted, tortured. All but John died because of their faith in Christ. What made them so sure? You could stop the pain by just denying Christ. Well, they knew Christ. They knew who He was. They had seen the resurrected Lord. And a choice between temporary pain and eternal relationship with God or judgment from God, there was no choice. So they did drink the cup, so to speak, and the baptism of Christ. Jesus said, you don't understand. It will be hard and totally consuming. James and John, we can do it. What arrogance. But tempered by enthusiastic ignorance, I've been enthusiastic about stuff I didn't know. I don't want to give him a pass, but boy, I could see myself doing that. Could you? They're the sons of thunder. They didn't have a real understanding. Do we have an understanding? I hope we're sitting here going, not, yeah, yeah, but do I? Do I really follow Christ? Or do I get quiet when the conversation begins to get uncomfortable? Well, you say, say what you will, James and John knew it was going to be hard. And afterwards, when it was, there was no dissuading them because they had seen the resurrected Christ. They had experienced him. We need to see and experience that resurrected Christ to the extent where he guides our thoughts, our emotions, our actions, our every being not an academic, oh yeah, I read that, so that's good, not just emotional, but a whole life-consuming relationship with Him because He is who He is and He does what He does in our life because of His love for
for us in power. Moving on to verse 41. And when the ten, the, the other disciples, other twelve, minus James and John, when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Hmm. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, to be served, but to serve, and give his life as a ransom for many. Today's scripture, which David read for us, thank you, David, was Mark 9, 30 through 37. That may sound familiar because Elliot just preached on it a few weeks ago, but it bears repeating. And they went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took the child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Sounds a lot like our passage today, doesn't it? Perhaps it's important. Can you relate to the ten? You're walking along, here you have James and John jockeying for position over you. The Bible says they were indignant. I think I'd be angry. Put those zealots in their place, Jesus. You just talked to us about that. They've been warned. Get them. Jesus gathers the twelve. Yeah, Jesus, give it to them. Come on, right in front of us. Jesus starts, you know those Gentiles that you don't like? The scribes teach us to hate them. Those pork eaters, those Romans, they have us under their thumb. You know those? Yeah, you're going to make a parallel between James and John and those Gentiles. Yeah, Jesus, go. Those, those Gentiles, they're non-Jews, those pariahs. He gets their, the disciples' attention. And then he goes a different way. The Gentiles' ruling structure. You've seen it. You've seen it from the Romans. You've seen it from those idol worshipers that surround us. You have a man who's given authority. He takes advantage of the man directly below him. He lords it over them. 
He has him under his thumb. He makes sure his underlings know who the boss is. I wonder if any of you have ever had a boss like that. But that man has a boss on top of him who's doing the same thing, lording it over him. The man in charge is someone else who is in turn has someone over him with the same attitude and the same attitude above him. It is a tower of exploitation. Contrast. Jesus says, you will be different. He's not saying, James and John, stop it. He's saying, you will be different. This is not a command. Huh. It's interesting. It's not even, here's what I want from you. No, this is how it will be. He's prophesying. He's telling them what it's going to be like for those who follow him. Yes, he's teaching, but with a kind of prophecy. Whoever is great is going to learn to be and practice to be a servant of all. If you're going to be first, you're going to be a slave. Oh, wait a minute. Servant I can get. Slave. That's a harsh word. The Romans were great at that. They go on their conquest. They defeat an army, kill the men they needed to, to win the victory. They take all the strong men, all the women they wanted, take them. They'd sell them. Those people would be then subhuman in the eyes of their owners. And that was the rest of their life. Slave was not a good place to be. You want us to be slaves? Really? Not want us to be. That's how it's going to be with you. It's pretty graphic. And slaves to all. Slaves to all, including your parents. Your spouse, your neighbors. What about that driver who cut you off? Your boss, coworkers. Jesus, that's hard for me to swallow. Slave to these people. You don't want me to be a worm, do you? I want you to be a servant. I want you to be a slave. And in case you didn't get the depth of the metaphor, pay attention to me, Jesus, for the next two weeks. I'm going to be your example. Watch how I serve. It wasn't, I'm the son of man, we read in Daniel, going to conquer. No. It was, I am the Son of Man, have come to serve and lay down my life voluntarily of my own free will to give my life as a ransom for many. Ransom, that's a word that we, we all know. We kind of let that just kind of roll off our, our tongues. A ransom is a payment to get back someone who was taken. Someone's going through their life. Someone else comes and captures them, imprisons them, kidnaps them, whatever. 
And in order to get that person back to their rightful place, someone has to pay to get them back. The person taken didn't do anything wrong. The person paying didn't do anything wrong. Someone evil took them and now is demanding a payment. That's kind of like us, isn't it? In fact, it's exactly like us. We are God's creation. We belong to God. We are His. And then a thief came and stole us. That thief's name is sin. And the bad thing is we participated in it. We jumped on board the moving train and said, See you, God. And God says, I need to get you back. I love you. You're mine. So I'm going to pay the ransom. Even though I already know you belong to me because I created you. You're mine. But our sin has stolen us away from the living God. And God said, I need to ransom you back. So he sent the only ransom fit for us, which was Jesus, who led a perfect life to pay for our imperfect, filthy rags. Next week, we will see another healing as Jesus draws near Jerusalem for the final time. Before we get there, we all have this week to consider and apply what it means to follow Jesus. The apostles trained by Jesus suffered that cup and baptism to immerse an immense persecution, which they all endured. They were convinced of who Jesus was and could not be persuaded by any pain to change their minds. Why? Because they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt who Jesus was. They saw him, they saw him die, they saw him arise, and he changed their lives. What is pain for a lifetime when you know that you're going to answer to God you're faithful to him. Well done, good and faithful servant. You denounce him by your words or actions. You have to answer for that. I have to answer for that. They had experienced the resurrected Jesus. Have you experienced the resurrected Jesus? Are you convinced that he has for you something that is greater than anything else? How deep is that? If you are not convinced, talk to us. If so, what's the next step? There's always a next step. Application of one of the marks of a believer, becoming a servant of all. Not just the ones who are easy. Shoot, I like the easy ones. Who is that person in your life who is tough to love? I'm going to take some time here because I want you to think of an answer. 
Who is that person who is annoying? Who's aggravating? Provoking? Angering? How can you demonstrate to them that Christ's love is in you? We talked about bearing one another's burdens earlier today. Or one another's. That's what we're called to do. There was a situation where it became apparent to me that somebody had been calling out for help and the people who he called out to said, gave him platitudes. Try harder. Pray harder. No coming alongside. My heart aches for that situation. We need to bear one another's burdens. We need to come alongside and be the flesh that God made for us to be. Don't ignore the pain of the people sitting to the right and left of you. The hurt of people that you are working with. I try when someone cuts me off to think, wow, I wonder what pain they're going through in their day. I'm not very good at it. I need this lesson as much as anybody. But we're a church who needs to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If you say to your brother, be warmed and filled, but do not minister to him, you're worse than an unbeliever. I'm worse than an unbeliever. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, we are such fallen creatures. We get our priorities backwards. Reorder our value system. Transform it to yours. Mold us and give us a heart for you. Give us a heart for those you bring into our lives. Give us compassion on the hurtful. Help us to see and act with your eyes. Send us forth from here with changed lives. In your name we pray.